weeks, I've met surprisingly a large number of people who uh, have had situations in their lives. I'm talking about physical and emotional and sometimes relational situations in their life. Uh, just because of uh, this thing called fear, which uh, happened to them either recently or happened to them when they were younger. Um, and it's surprising how long its effects last. Eh? So felt that uh, we talked about security last week and uh, feel the need to address this whole thing about fear. And so I'm calling it no fear. And so John 16.33, John 16.33. In that Jesus does tell us that in the world there will be tribulation. But he also says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So the fact that there will be turbulence in the world is not negative thinking. Jesus had said it. He said, there will be tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Uh, what happens with most of us is our trust is in God up to a certain point, And then we go into panic prayer. So our trust in God is there to a certain point. Most of us uh, who've been in this church and who've been Christians for a while, we know how to not panic for a while. But it comes to a point and then we go back to panic prayers as if uh, we really either don't know God or don't think that he governs the world. We either think he doesn't govern the world or we almost behave as if the same God we were trusting for about two days now doesn't seem trustable. And we go into this fear mode. One of the things fear does, guys, is fear makes you... Fear makes your situation appear like a giant. Fear makes your situation appear like a giant. It makes you appear like a grasshopper. And it makes God non-existent. Fear makes your situation look like a giant. It makes you feel like a grasshopper. And it makes God seem non-existent. Throughout the Bible we see this and we've seen it in our own lives. I'm surprised at how I can stand for two days, three days, four days and when nothing lets up in the situation I'm facing, I'm suddenly um, put back into a place where I start going panicky. And once you go panicky and peace is abandoned, guys, God gets so distorted. And so it's a major stressor, eh? Fear is a major stressor. And it creates anxiety, it creates conflict. And anxiety and conflict affect our body, our bodies and affects our souls. Guys, it was, it was very difficult this last 10 to 12 days watching what a toll fear is taking of people's bodies, people's minds, people's emotions and people's relationships. Anne and I were ministering to somebody um, Heidi and I were ministering to somebody. Different situations, eh? but the amount of fear there is, and it surrounds us, eh? comes from different places. And the odd thing is, this is an ancient spirit. And why do I call it an ancient spirit? Because it was the second thing after the serpent that was spotted in the Garden of Eden. 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, Adam actually says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, and I hid. Spirit is a fear. Sorry, fear is a spirit. Fear is a spirit, and it's an ancient spirit. It's been around for very, very long. This spirit has learned its ropes right from the beginning. It's an ancient spirit that first affected man in Genesis 3.10. You know, like an octopus, it has this ability to squirt that inky, murky liquid. It, it brings confusion. It distorts God's voice. It provokes dread or suspicion of God. And it forces you to hide. That's what happened to Adam. First it created confusion. He suddenly finds himself naked as if he wasn't before. Of course he was. But, but it confuses him. He doesn't know what to do. He needs to hide. Then it distorts God's voice. He wasn't afraid of God's voice. He had heard it every day. And then suddenly he says, I heard your voice and I was afraid. It, it, it casts suspicion on God and you begin to dread God. The real reason fear succeeds is because of a dread of God. Fear wouldn't have ground if it wasn't for the fact that I am suspicious of God and his intents towards me. That is the only reason fear has the foothold it has in the world. That is the only reason fear has a foothold when it does in my life. Because I at that point am not able to trust God and I suspect him of not being who he says he is. There's a distrust that develops. Fear thrives because of the distrust of God. And finally, it makes me hide. Hide where? Hide behind other things that can help me deal with fear. Not God. But we talked about this last week and we said that God promises us the essential of security. And what does security mean? We talked about it. We said security begins at this place where we hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock. From there we move to the next place which is resting in the storm. And from there we move to the next place which is running towards the giant. These were the three phases we talked about last week. That we first hide in the cleft of the rock, then we rest in the storm, and then we run towards the giant. Three phases of coming from a place of fear to no fear. So let's talk about hiding in the cleft. If you go to Psalm 71 verse 3, tons and tons and tons of scripture. I was finding hard choosing a few. Psalm 71 verse 3. <clears throat> it says there, and David, David is saying to God, Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me. For you're my rock and my fortress. Lovely. Be my rock of refuge. He's telling God as if he knows God is. But this is a conversation between a child and his father. And he's saying, oh God, will be my rock and refuge. I know you are, but he says, be my rock and refuge. And then he says, to which I can always go. He's saying the obvious, but he's literally speaking to himself. One of the things David used the Psalms for was to encourage himself. He knows God is always, 
and he knows God is rock and refuge. But he says, be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. And then he says something so brilliant. He says, give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. David knew that his safety lay in the promise or the word of God. That's why he says, give the command to save me. Once he knows what God has said, David knows God can be trusted. This is the same guy who wrote Psalm 23. Go to Psalm 32, verse 7. Most of us know it. Psalm 32, verse 7. Psalm 32, verse 7. And it says there, You are my hiding place. You are my hiding place. We are talking about the cleft in the rock. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and you will surround me with songs of deliverance. Again, it's the same thing. Oh God, this is who you are. With your words, you will keep me. Let's look at another one. Psalm 91 verse 1. Psalm 91 verse 1. Most of us know that one too. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then later on in verse 10, it tells you what will happen if you do that. No plague shall befall you. No evil shall come near your dwelling. Guys, at the end of the day, here's the statement you need to remember. The first place, the first place you go in times of fear and trouble should be the heart which is the cleft we are talking about the heart of God the first place that I should go in fear and trouble and trouble must be the heart of God Must be the heart of God. I'll never tire of reminding us of what it is to be a child to a father. What it is to be a much loved child. Can you imagine the difference it will make to the tribulation that awaits you during a day if you start like this? Where the first place I go when I am in times of fear and trouble is to the heart of God. Because if I go to the heart of God, start my day there, Continue my day day there. Now you see why Psalm 91 kicks in. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Find that secret place. It's the heart of God. What do I mean by the heart of God? I'll explain it when I read out this next line. Guys, we always will have a choice. We will either magnify the heart of God over us or we will magnify the situation currently over us. We will always have a choice. We will either magnify the heart of God over us or we will magnify the situation that is at present over us. This is always going to be a choice. We will either magnify the heart of God over us or we will magnify the situation over us. So what do we mean by heart of God? It is God's, how God sees your situation and how God sees you both. That's the heart of God. If you can't locate this, then 
then it's a miserable prayer life kind of a Christianity you'll have to lead. Yes, calling out, please help me, please help me, please help me. This is how we live life. Once you locate this, it's very different, guys. Every day I have this choice. Magnify the situation I'm in or magnify the heart of God over me. Any questions before we go on? This is why it's so important to run to him in the morning or whenever you wake up. If that's afternoon, then afternoon. And Kamal and Ann wake up around noon. That's why I thought I'll throw that out. And most pastors do accept this one. And so um, we we run to him and we discover his heart. And in that, when you start walking, you're already walking in safety. And then as turbulence comes, so much easier. Because you know the heart of God over you. Guys, this is the word of God. And I, I know that your situation may be horrendous. But I just want to tell you that regardless of how horrendous your situation is, what God is saying and what God has towards you is greater than your horrendous situation. When you find out God's heart towards you and towards the situation, you both get delivered out of fear and you find solutions. Hear me again. You get delivered out of fear and you find solutions. You know what to step out of and you know what to step into. You know what to hold back. It's like that gambler song. You've got to know when to hold on. Know when to fold up. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting. When the deal is done, this must be a Christian church. You are not clapping. And they sing the gambler. Yeah. The point being, guys, God gives you both the solution and deliverance from fear. Both. If you know God's heart over you and over your situation. I'm not just satisfied with being freed from fear. I want to know how to deal with the situation too, because otherwise i got to do this again tomorrow. Both. These are such simple lines, but it takes so long to learn this, guys, because it can only be learned through practice. I'm still trying to learn it. In the face of fear, guys, next time fear comes along, you've got this amazing opportunity in the face of fear to say Hebrews 13.6, to say to fear what God said we must say. Learn to say, I will not fear. The Lord is my helper at this very moment in my present condition. Hebrews 13, verse 6. What can mortal man do to me? I will not fear. At this very moment, in this present time, the Lord is my helper. To say to fear. Next time fear assails you. And I'm sure there will be occasions when that happens. I will not fear. The Lord says, and so I say, I will not fear. 
the Lord is my helper at this very present moment in this situation. Quote Hebrews 13, 6. If Jesus used the word to combat spirits, may I suggest that you use words to combat this ancient spirit. This is an ancient spirit. By calling it an ancient spirit, I'm not trying to make it bigger than it is. I'm just trying to say that it has plagued man for very, very long. And it's learned the condition of sinful man and knows how to play with us. And now let us use the word to change things. The next thing is uh, res resting in the storm. So if, this, if what we spoke about is hiding in the cleft, what does resting in the storm look like? Hey, do you guys want this fan up or up? Okay. Could the um, fan department just deal with that? And uh, thanks. I didn't know who, it, who the fan department was, but thank you, Prashant. Yeah. And you can talk to your other buddies in the fan department who didn't move a muscle. Yeah. Oh, they're next door? The next one is resting in the storm. Resting in the storm. One of the, word, one of the verses that comes to mind immediately is, even though I walk through the valley, <laughs> even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Again, it comes back to no fear, guys. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm fascinated at how every time I've heard someone quote this verse, they always are trying to help magnify the valley of the shadow of death. Every time I've heard this, oh, you know, it was like the valley of the... Sh that isn't the most important part. But every time I've heard it, that's what everybody talks about. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I mean, that must be restful where you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you fear no evil. That's rest. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the rod and the staff was to defend and to pull back from danger. The rod was to chase away cougars and leopards and t no tigers there. And uh, to pull back sheep that were going astray. This is a thing we haven't really learned as a church and most Christians haven't learned. We are people who know how to call out to God when we are afraid. But we are not people who know how to walk with no fear. I want us to come to a place where our condition is, I will fear no evil. I don't want us to be a people who call out to God every time we are afraid. That's not mature. That is immature Christianity. We have to come to a place where when you confront fear, surprisingly you may be afraid, but you are not afraid. We'll talk about that. Another scripture that comes to mind. Psalm 112 verse 7. I love this verse. I learned this verse 25 years ago. And it shows in my life, guys. 
Psalm 112 verse 7 and 8. They will have no fear. Again that word, no fear. It's almost like this is a strange bunch of people. They will have no fear. Why? They will have no fear of bad news. Why? Because their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. One of the versions, I think it's a living translation, says, they will have no fear, for they know that Jehovah takes care of them. This is what I'm inviting us to become, guys. To walk in a place of rest, where it's not, Father, I'm afraid and I'm calling out to you. But it is, even though I'm walking through this and it is scary, I will have no fear. For I'm beginning to come into a place where I know you are with me. Is this possible? Absolutely. Have I seen change in you in this area? Yes, I have. Have I seen change in me? Yes, I have. I remember the first time I drove in the U.S. After driving in Canada, this was my first time across the border and I was heading to Portland. And man, do those guys drive fast. And man, do they have uh, flyovers and uh, these exits that come on you suddenly. And if you miss one, you're in San Diego. <laughs> and I remember people honking, thinking there goes another Canadian with his uh, driving skills. It was a little difficult, but soon I got the hang of it. We get the hang of it as we practice in real life situations. In real life situations. Thank God that you will have an opportunity to try this because there's nobody here who won't have a situation in the next little while that you can try this in. Have no fear. No fear. No fear. That's where we are heading. And then there's a third stage. This is only the second stage. I remember God saying this long ago. He said, Jacob, I will guard your life. This is my joyful privilege. If you try to guard it yourself, you unwittingly remove yourself from my deliverance. Jacob, I will guard your life. It's my joyful privilege. If you try to guard your life, you unwittingly remove yourself from my protection. Jacob, I will guard your life. It's my joyful privilege. When you try to guard your life yourself, you unwittingly remove yourself from my protection. I carry it on my phone. Half the reason we control life is because we want everything to be safe and protected. Control is an illusion. You cannot control anything. You don't control anything. Tell me one thing you control. Give me one thing you control. Breathing. I got news for you. Your children. <laughs> Your cats. Absolutely not. Tell me one thing you control. You think you've got some control over your spouse. That's an illusion. One thing you control. Your own? Even that you can't. The only thing you really control, guys, is your will. It's the only thing God has given you sovereign 
are rule over. Only thing that you can control is your will. The only thing that God does not rob or take away, hijack, overpower, is your will. Even your thoughts, you don't control. Right now I'm controlling it. Or I think I am. That's an illusion. <laughs> you control nothing. So why not stop? Oh, I'm preaching to myself. See guys, Jesus knew all this. Eh? That's why he slept in the storm. It's a perfect picture of natural exhaustion and supernatural confidence. Jesus sleeping in the boat in the middle of the storm is this perfect picture of natural exhaustion as in he was so tired. The Bible says, I was reading it over and over again, and it actually says water was coming into the boat. It didn't break his sleep, man. He's getting wet. And he's still sleeping. So he must have been really, really tired. Like some of you about five minutes into the sermon. And <laughs> so it's a mix of natural uh, exhaustion and supernatural confidence. But Jesus was so sure of this. And what was he sure of? That's what blows my mind, eh? We'll talk about that. Oh, oh, let's talk about it right now. Guys, the essence of practical rest and faith is this. The essence of practical faith and rest is this. Do I take my father's care seriously? The essence of practical faith and rest is simply this. Do I take my father's care of me seriously? Therein lies practical faith and practical rest. Everything else is theory. Do I really take or do I act? What I'm saying is, do I actually believe God's fatherly care of me? Do I take it seriously? This is why a man can sleep in a boat. It's both supernatural confidence and natural exhaustion. So your primary ministry every day, I've read this line before, I, I'm not sure where I got it from. Your primary, your primary ministry every day is to let God touch you. Your primary ministry every day is to let God touch you so that you can know Him, rest in Him, and make Him known in every circumstance. Your primary ministry every day is to let God touch you so that you can know Him, rest in Him, and make Him known in every circumstance. Oh, some of these lines are the A to Z of Christianity. Yeah. Your primary ministry every day is to let God touch you so that you can know Him more, so that you can rest in Him and so that you can make Him known in every circumstance. So, so simple. So simple. 
All it takes, guys, all it takes is one step towards and he comes running a hundred steps back towards you. To make him known in every circumstance, may. Take one step towards him and he, he just comes running towards you. But the, but the thing is, tomorrow morning, will I? And will I with the heart of a child towards a father? Or will I with the heart of a devotee towards his God? Which just sucks. Every other religion has devotees and God. We've got children and father. Start there, guys. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus was in the boat. You saw how he behaved. The, the opportunity to be like Jesus is constantly, instantly, and immediately available to me every minute. Every minute of the day, the opportunity to be like Jesus was when he walked the earth is constantly, instantly, and immediately available to me. In the face of opposition, in the face of mocking, in the face of being made small, in the face of low self-esteem, in the face of threat, in the face of fear, in the face of sickness, in the face of danger, in the face of inadequacy, constantly, instantly, immediately. I have an opportunity to be like Jesus in that situation always. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want I want to be like Jesus. Who wants to be a Christian? Find another church. Who wants to be like Jesus? Stick around. We're not here to be Christians. Go ahead, Tate. You want to be like Jesus, right? Good man. I'm glad one guy raised my hand. Me too. Let's look and see if there's anybody else. Oops, Tate. There are more, man. Any questions before we go to the last bit? Any disagreements? Challenge me if this is impractical. What are some of the practices? I'm thinking of the children that I teach. Yeah. things that's happened again over the last two weeks is the number of people that I met with that went on mission trips with YWAM or Campus Crusade or one of those organizations, really great organizations who've done amazing work throughout the world. But many of these went when they were 19, 20, 21 years old. And they went to foreign countries like India and other places and they went without either the moral muscle or the spiritual muscle and they went and they were taken into places that were uh, highly demonic but 
we go with this line, oh, Jesus has power over everything else. Jesus does, but do you know him that way? And they went into these places, and they came back after the mission trip. And then for 10 to 15 years, they are completely undone. Either because they've been ravaged emotionally, or mentally, or physically. I've met six people in the last 10 days like this. All of them are believers, and all of them went on trips to places. You can't take a child into an R-rated movie and expect the child to come out okay. All I'm saying is, guys, we can't play with things that bring fear and then expect to say no fear. You build yourself in God, which is why I said our primary ministry is to be touched by God. And to be touched by God, James puts it very simple. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Simple. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is your primary ministry. That you get right, everything else begins to fall into place. Every day. Every day. Last one. Run towards giants. Run towards giants. I think Graham Cook said this. You can only run towards a giant if you know the outcome already. You can only run towards a giant if you know the outcome already. You don't go running towards a giant if you don't know the outcome. First Samuel 17, verse 48. And David ran towards Goliath. And while he was running, he started fishing in his bag for uh, five stones. 1 Samuel 17, verse 48. And David ran towards the giant. And then in verse 46, you realize that the guy knew the outcome. Before running towards the giant, he's saying, Oh, by the way, I just want to make a quick announcement. Um, you uncircumcised Philistine, uh, in a few minutes, uh, I'll chop off your head. And I also want you to know, before I chop off your head, that I'm going to chop off the heads of a few of your uh, friends too. And then he goes running towards Goliath. That's what it says in verse 46. I, I think it's a great insult, uh, you uncircumcised Philistine. It has some strength to it. Yeah. <laughs> How many have read Tintin comics? Aren't Captain Haddock's words sometimes just brilliant? Yeah. Well, if you haven't read Tintin... I, I must tell you this, um, many years ago when the movie came out, I wanted to watch Tintin. But didn't know who to go with. So finally, I picked on the youngest guy I could find. And that just happened to be Mr. Wayne Callahan. And so Wayne and I turned up for Tintin, and this is a 3D movie. I think he and I were the only ones there without kids. So all the other people were looking at it, looking at us strangely, because there were two grown-ups and the rest were all dads with their kids. <laughs> yeah, they must have thought that. But the thing is, Wayne doesn't look old enough, so that's a problem too. Yeah, you can only run towards a giant if you know the outcome already. 
And faith is the gift that enables you to see what God sees in the invisible. Faith is the gift that enables you to see what God sees in the invisible. You can only run towards a giant if you know the outcome. And faith is the gift that allows you to see what God sees in the invisible. These are not nice little cliches, even though they sound like it. But I'm talking about a place where we come to rest in the storm and now we have the ability to see things the way God sees them and charge into Goliath's path without being afraid because we know the outcome. When God has surely spoken, guys, and he said something, be reckless immediately. Be reckless immediately. Totally unrestrained. Willing to risk everything. Once God has surely spoken, and I've underlined surely spoken in my notes, because sometimes you think he's spoken when he's not. Once God has surely spoken, obey recklessly. Immediately. Don't even think. If you think, you're finished. Recklessly obey. Recklessly obey. If God has surely spoken, be reckless immediately. Unrestrained, willing to risk everything. Once you recognize it's God, step out in the recognition of Him and you won't see how big Goliath is. Once you recognize that what is being asked of you is God, then step out recognizing what and who God is and you won't even see, that Goli- you won't even realize that Goliath is 10 feet taller than you. Because you've recognized what God has said and you recognize who he is and you step out and you won't even see how big Goliath is. Anything I've done in my life that has been beyond what I have and who I am has only been a result of reckless immediate obedience because I was sure I heard God. And then the enormity of what I was going to do did not even come into my line of vision and therefore I didn't have to spend time thinking about it. May I suggest that this is not even a Christian thing? That anything attempted in the world that is impossible by any Christian, Hindu, Muslim, non-Christian, atheist, whatever has only been done because of this. They have a sense, they recklessly step out. We don't even have a sense. We have a God-given directive. If the world can step out just on a gut instinct, recklessly, immediately, recognizing what they have to do, then they no longer look at the size of the mountain they have to climb. Much more so for us, guys. You know, we always hear these sermons about dreaming big. That's the good part, the dreaming big. Oh, dream big in the Lord, dream big in the Lord. That's fine. But then when you face reality, it's so humongous, you go back to dreaming. Recklessly, immediately obey. Recognize it. This is what Peter did. Look at what he does. It's brilliant. Jesus, if it's you, command me to come. Come. Recklessly, immediately started walking on water. And he does not see the water because he recognized the voice and the person who called him. 
He does not see the storm. They couldn't row against that storm. Peter was a fisherman. He was struggling. He was scared of what's going to happen. He does not even see the storm and he begins to walk on water. This is how God does mighty exploits through normal people. Running against Goliath is not running against Satan. Running against Goliath is anything that prevents you from letting God be everything he wants to be through you. Let me say that again. Running against Goliath is preventing God from being everything he wants to be through you. It's not about you really. And I dare this question at Acts 29. I want to dare this question at Acts 29 every few months. What is it in your life that you're presently doing that you would not be able to do if God wasn't there? What is it in your life that you're presently doing that's way beyond your present ability, capacity, talent level, education, pay scale? What are you doing in your life at present that is risky, that requires faith, that is impossible? This is the people we are going to become, guys. You don't want to be anything less. Why would you settle for anything less? Why would I settle for anything less? This has nothing to do with what you do. You can be retired or pastor, both are the same. Or you can be a nurse or a student or homemaker or wife or mom. You can be anything. Nothing stops what I'm saying from happening. Teacher with report cards too to do still doesn't change anything. I love this next line. I, I, I don't get the hang of it fully, but I know it's true. So obviously it's not my line. You can feel fear and not be afraid. Because Jesus said, fear not, I am with you. You can feel fear and not be afraid. Our bodies will feel fear. We have a fight or flight mechanism built into our bodies. So you can feel fear but not be afraid. As in... But after that, hey, if you see a cougar come out of the woods while the shepherd is leading the sheep and you're the sheep, you think you won't be afraid? <laughs> Kids get scared. But immediately after that, I mean, Dillian just shook in a booth. But at the end of the day, gosh, that will sound so odd on the tape, eh, in the between. <laughs> That will too. <laughs> the point is, guys, you can feel fear and not be afraid. Because he said, fear not, I'm with you. I, I, I want to learn this, guys. I want to learn this. This is how Jesus lived. The opportunity to be like Jesus is instantly, constantly, immediately available to us. You can feel fear and not be afraid. Because you hear Jesus saying, do not fear. 
for I am with you. So, plan to lose fear as a lifestyle. Guys, the number of diseases, the number of diseases that are related to fear, anxiety and conflict runs into 240 pages in a book that I have. Pardon? Um, not everything in the book is good, so I won't give the name. But uh, uh, 240 pages of fear-related diseases. Written by a guy who has medical background. Fear, anxiety and conflict. So if I'm afraid four times a day, I'm afraid about 1,500 to 1,600 times a year. And if you've lived 35 years like I have, that's a whole lot of fear, man. So, shush, silence in the peanut gallery. Guys, some of, some of the things that you and I are going through in terms of physical... Um, physical ailments and emotional upheaval will begin to die a quiet death and you won't even notice that it's disappeared till you'll think oh shucks it's been a while may I suggest to you something else the more I control something the more I will be afraid of losing control control sets perfect soil to cultivate fear because the more I control something, the more people and the spirit realm will try to disturb the controlling. And the more that happens, the more afraid I will get. Because the more I'll have to gather in the sheaves and keep them safe. Lose fear as a lifestyle. Lose fear as a lifestyle. Lose fear as a lifestyle. One of the ways that fear captivates us is this simple progression. Fear tries to have you focus or pay attention to a certain thing certain event, certain circumstance, certain ailment. Once you start paying attention to it, your affections or your emotions are drawn towards it. Affection is not falling in love with it. It's affections as in your emotions, your feeling, your, your thinking is now involved in it because it's gotten your attention. And once your affections are taken captive or, or are, are drawn towards it, it is natural for you to follow now that direction of fear. It's very natural. Don't try this at home. But if you actually spent a whole day just listening to the to the um, disclaimer after any medicine is sold 
on TV. By tomorrow evening, you will think you have multiple diseases. Oh no, but we think we can handle it. So we let it come in through our ear gates and our eye gates. And the next time you eat and you find that your elbow isn't lifting off the table, you think, I got elbow fasciitis or whatever. If that disease hasn't been invented yet, you'll hear about it tomorrow. You have no idea how potent our ear gates and our eye gates are. You have no idea how potent it is. I don't take, no, not the nose, the eyes. I don't take the ears and the eyes um, for granted. I protect them like crazy. I protect them like crazy. I'll refuse to listen to that which poisons my mind with a worldview that is different from the one that God prescribes. Why do I need extra battles? I got enough without them. These are the ways we win, guys. These are the ways we win. So that God can be all He wants to be through us. Lose fear as a lifestyle. Otherwise, circumstances will get inflated beyond actual proportions. Circumstances will get inflated beyond actual proportions. Circumstances will get inflated. I'm going to share something with you which will be slightly gory. Perhaps it's a good idea. Happened some time ago in this church. Um, don't know why. I have an idea. I have a vague idea, but I won't even go into this. I was um, leading worship here and then preaching. And suddenly I knew that something was wrong in my stomach. And... Um, my stomach wasn't hurting or anything, but I knew, and this might really sound gory, but too bad. I'm just trying to convey a point. And I knew that my pants were full of blood. And I'm standing here and I'm thinking to myself, what's going to happen next? What do I do next? I've just led worship. I know what I'm preaching. I know who God is, but I also know that my pants are full of blood. I'm thinking to myself, well, keep preaching. Because you know God knows how to take care of these things. The only thing I decided is, I'll stand still. Because I didn't want to freak you guys out. And so I stood still, finished preaching. People came up for prayer, prayed for people here. Not for a moment did I think that God would not take care of it. Because I know what God says. I don't care what the world says. And so after all of it is done, I went home. I had to throw away my clothes because they were so caked with blood that they could not be washed. And then the next day, I didn't even check to see or look to see whether I had the problem or not because it did not matter because 
once you know who God is, then what does it matter? Why should I feed my imagination and Google what this means? Why? Why? Praise God. Never had that problem again. So much depends on what we feed ourselves, eh? I haven't shared that because it, partly because it is a gory incident. But I think this is the right time to share it because, guys, we've got to learn how to protect our ear gates and our eye gates because those are the pathways to our mind. And if I was able to walk like that, it is only because of years of protecting the ear gate and the eye gate and not falling for what the world will tell me is wrong with me and what God cannot do and can do. I refuse to live by the standards and the ways of the world because the kingdom that I cannot be shaken out of has a completely different system of operation. We live under a king who is completely different. Completely different. If I don't, if we don't, um, if you're not careful with these things, then what happens is our circumstances get inflated. And when our circumstances get inflated, then you will think a certain way, and your thinking will always take you somewhere. Your thinking will always take you somewhere. Circumstances get inflated beyond actual proportions, and your thinking will always lead you somewhere. Fear happens because my thinking now leads me somewhere. My thinking leads me to a place that God did not creatively imagine for me, that I imagine based on the input from around me. Your thinking will always lead you somewhere. Let me, let me finish. Find out quickly, guys, when fear, of, when fear assails you. Find out quickly. And once you find out, quickly agree with God. Quickly agree with God. And what are you agreeing with God? Aha! I see how you see me, and I see how you see the situation. I see how you see me, and I see how you see this situation. Quickly agree with God. And once you do that, you will bring yourself into alignment with some kind of an encounter that God will bring about that will change your situation. If not in a day, then in two days. If not in two days, then in three days. If not in three days, then in four days. Tell me when to stop. If not in four days, then in five days. If not in five days, then in six days. If not in six days... Okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop now and I'm going to ask that we repent of fear in our lives. Different areas of fears we have. All of us here, i got stuff to repent of. Repent of fear in our lives. Some will be inc instances we are, or incidents that keep recurring. Repent of fear in your life. So that's the first thing. And then we'll repent generally of fear. After that, we'll turn and trust the Father. We'll turn and trust the Father's love. We'll turn and trust the Father's love. After that, we'll cast out this fear. 
cast out the fear. After that, we'll bring our body and our soul to God and say, could you heal us and deliver us from the, from the cast of fear that the world and the enemy and I myself have put on me. And after that, we can go home. Okay? So it's a five-step process to going home. So first, take time to repent of fear. Repent of fear. What does that mean? Father, I've thought that fear is a natural part of human life. And I repent of it because it's, everything it represents is against you. It basically distorts your voice, casts suspicion on you, dreads you, hides from you, and I refuse to be part of it. So repent of it. No music, no nothing. Repent of control if control is leading to fear. want our primary ministry to be that of being touched by you so that we may know you so that we may rest in you in every circumstance and so that we may show you father through every circumstance to make you known ah how the world will marvel they saw Jesus sleeping and they marveled at him how can you do this I want people to marvel at you because of your presence in my life. And now having submitted to you, Father, we want to cast out fear. And so it will require maybe a whispering, maybe an audible speaking, because fear is a spirit, fear is a condition, and we will need to cast it out. As in, when... Uh, when there's something stuck in my throat, I gotta spit it out. I gotta spit it out. And it's in the same way. I can't spit it out without opening my mouth. I'll only swallow it. <laughs> spit it out, Father. And so I just pray that audibly, in whispers or as loud as people wanna be willing to, I just pray that you would help us now say to the spirit of fear and to every condition of fear that. I do not have any part in you. I have submitted to God and I have resisted and repented fear. And now I say to you, spirit of fear, I cast you out of my thinking, my body, my emotions. I, I just command you to leave. I'm free from you. For I have opportunities now to be instantly, constantly and immediately present before God and be like God. So Father, we're going to do that now. Let declare this upon this church and the people here. That in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who said, do not fear, for I am with you. I command the spirit of fear to leave us. I drive you out of our lives and out of this church as a body in the name of the head of this body, Jesus the Christ. I command these spirits of fear and control out of our lives in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And finally, guys, 
bring your bodies and your thinking and your soul to the Lord and say, Oh God, now begin, would you, be, would you heal my thinking? Would you heal my emotions? Would you heal my body? May it be free from, now that it's free from fear, would you begin to heal it? I've taken away the reason. Now would you, now that the root has been removed, would you, w- w- would you heal this body? Let's just pray that. Let's just pray that. Let's just pray that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Abba. I just thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the healing of my body, the healing of my emotions, the healing of my mind. I won't be responsive to fear like I have been in the past. Thank you for healing bodies across this room. Healing bodies across this room. Many ailments of the stomach, of the blood, anything that has been a uh, has, ha, has been a result of anxiety and conflict and fear. Any fogginess of the mind that prevents us from making decisions that, uh, that paralyzes us in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you begin to heal? Please, would you heal your body? Would you heal your body, Jesus? Would you heal your body, Jesus? We are your body. Would you heal your body, Jesus? We are your body. Would you heal your body? Would you bring health now? Would you bring health now? In Jesus Christ's name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Guys, would you just indulge and sing The Lord is My Light before we leave? Yeah? Marcus, you want to come up? I'll only sing it once, so don't worry. I won't do it eight times. Um, Ryan, could you do the needful? Matt, can you just turn the projector on? Psalm 27. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Is it? The Lord is the strength of my life. One second.
Yourself this week, how you can live this way. Yeah? Bless you guys.